Welcome to Uncle Bob's Magic Cabinet, a mother-daughter podcast about all things magic and mythology and pop culture. our regularly scheduled programming <gasps> to bring you okay flight attendant Laura <laughs> yes she's here again she's here to stay I've made an appearance hey we're on summer break but we, we wanted are. to pop in yeah. and say hi hello and explain this little rewind series we're doing yes I love it yeah we're taking a few weeks off mm-hmm. summer breeze makes me feel fine blowing <laughs> with the jasmine <laughs> in my mind, mind. I was wondering I if it. you were going to go the full were way. Were you Crosby? Were you Stills? Were you Nash? Were you Young? I think I'm giving Nash energy. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything about any of them, but I feel like I'm a Nash. Nash. That's a kick-ass name. You're very much Crosby. God, I'm David Crosby. Come on. Come on. Dang. See? Crosby energy. Anyway, we're on summer break, but yes. we're going to do a little rewind series. We're going to take a look back at some of our favorite episodes yes. from years yonder past. I don't Way know. back in the day. <laughs> this episode was released on November 21st, 2021. Yes. It is episode 77, Crimson Peak and the Red Violin. Here's Love your it. rundown. Yeah. In this episode, Lee. Okay. That's you. That's me. <laughs> me. Lee. Uh, discovers the ghostly history of spirit photography with the help of 2015's gothic horror film Crimson Peak. Yes. While Lori touches on the power and complexity of blood magic through the 1998 music-focused drama The Red Violin. Uh, yes. The reason we picked this one to look back on is because mm-hmm. we feel like it's underrated. It didn't get all the it love it deserved. It didn't get all of the love, and this one's fucking solid. Yes. Okay, so go watch these movies, listen to us chat about it, and we'll catch you next week for another review. We'll check you out later. (laughs) That was my rewind. (laughs) That was my rewind sound. Epic fail. Okay, bye. Bye. And we're on. And we're on. Hey, everyone. I'm Liam, the daughter. Hey, I'm Lori, the mom. What's going on? What's happening? Uh, Nothing. I have sad news. (laughs) Oh, no. What's Um, going on? Well, I just received a Facebook invitation. Facebook. A Facebook invitation for my 10-year high school reunion oh no so uh let's all have a moment of silence for my youth ah. and i'm gonna take a sip <laughs> of my wine because that one hit me and then i me and jake graduated the same year so i told him and he was like ha ha and then he's like wait and i was like yeah buddy that means you too my oh friend oh my gosh yeah but i think i think mine was like 35 35 this was uh, your 35th I think oh my so, god! Yeah. They do it in the five increments, right? Oh no, my no. god! Yeah, I think now it's like they're having one every year because you just oh. never know. You know, they're just <laughs> throwing them in there for in, fun in decade increments. But now it's like, hey, gonna, let's just meet I was up. Going to say if I have to relive this pain every five years when they fucking send me this invitation, I really don't want to. Yeah, take me off the list. Take, take me it. off the fucking list. Yeah. You know, um, so I will not be attending. Um, no, you were not a lover of high school. <laughs> no, no. And everyone that, no, 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 yeah. no, 
Same, same. <laughs> okay, yeah. I was just, I was gonna get into it, but we've all had similar yes, high school yes. experiences, I feel right? Like it. I don't need to get into the gritty details. No, we don't need to dive down that no, dumpster no. fire. I ju- oh, yeah, exactly. No, right. I just will not be attending. Uh, sorry. Consider this my RSVP. <laughs> uh, but it got me thinking yeah. about uh, Zach and Miri make a porno. <laughs> Because it's it dawned on me that they are going to their ten year high tenu- school reunion oh and they're gosh. in Monroeville, PA, which is where we're That's from. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So it like I had like an existential crisis. I'm like that movie makes so much sense to me now. Oh my gosh! I always like in uh, one of my reunions would be kind of like Gross Point Blank, and oh I would be the John Cusack. <laughs> you would be. Oh my fucking god! <laughs> yeah, man. High school reunions. It got like got me thinking. What were you doing when you graduated? Like oh my I don't god. even know what the fuck I was doing I don't even think it was intentional but the only thing I can remember from that time period is that I that is when I this probably ruined hair salons for me forever and it's why I don't want to get another hair story too I don't know if I've told this one before but Uh, it was when I you know I was like I just want to do something really different with my hair what for graduation live it up I something like that it was right before senior pictures or something Mm. you know and my hair was always long and curly and I was like let's shake it up and then that's when somebody gave me I have the perfect hairdo for you it's called uh you know what was that was it a bob it was a bob (gasps) and Uh, i looked like rosanna rosanna dana no and so then i had to have my mom cut it (gasps) and then it was so freaking short it was the worst bob i looked my i looked like my aunt lola I mean, uh, let's do it. And then I just remember going out with my friend and like, <laughs> let's just take some candid photos. No. You know, like when you're young and you always think like a photo shoot is a great idea. Yeah, why? Right? Why? Like, right? Why? No. Why is that a thing? They're never I, a good idea. I'll I can, tell kids, just exactly. don't. You do not want to look back on that 10 Ex- years down the line. Exactly. It's going to be embarrassing. I think my mom was still like probably heartbroken that my, uh, you know, my hair was short for all of my graduation you tore stuff. your fucking hair up for your graduation. Well, while yeah. uh, I look like shit and then it was (laughs) so funny because it's kind of like fashion you know what I mean Uh, yeah you know now I'm like I dress like I want I do it and I don't have to worry about fashion right back then I was like I better look fashionable (laughs) now I look at those pictures and I'm like what the hell was that the 80s man oh my god I had like this turquoise dress on and these big white freaking saucer earrings it sounds like you you. imagine (laughs) sounds like you I don't know my favorite uh, version of you is still the rodeo version of you. Oh my gosh! Country yeah. Lori is our yes. favorite Lori. Yeah. Nashville time zone. Yes. Yeah. One day we will release those photos. Release the cowboy hat. But you Stetson. know what? Ugh. It's interesting that the apple does not far. F- no, far, far does not far, far fall. Farful. <laughs> it's farful. <laughs> Newton. <laughs> you just kept it going, and it kept getting better. The apple does not fall far from the tree because right. I too had a horrible haircut. <laughs> Before my graduation. I'm not even playing. Do you remember it too? I do. So I, do. I also have long curly so the hair. Joan Jet. It was like a Joan Jet round two because I have told you about the Joan Jet experience in another episode. And this this is a different one. So it's happened a lot. Oh my gosh. Um yeah, I had gotten my hair cut short. Mm-hmm. Before graduation, yeah. and I really liked it. Remember? Yes. It like looked cute. It was kind of punky Adorbs. and like, you know, little yeah. flippy waves. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, for some odd reason, <laughs> I was like, you know what? Let's get it cut a little shorter. Let's do it. Because I really like this. <laughs> right before all of my festivities. <laughs> right before all of my graduation photos. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it wasn't great. I had like the teeny tiny bangs that we all dread. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we've all had them. Yeah, that was me. And so there is one photo. There's one photo. I also, because you had to practice like graduation, right? Yeah. 
And in fucking Pennsylvania in June, okay, the oh sun, gosh, it's hot. Right. It's and so hot. I had a suntan. Okay, my face, <laughs> my face was burnt red. Right, right. And so there is one specific graduation photo that my grandmother has that I will never show anyone. Right. And it is me with this haircut, like the, the fresh cut, and it looks awful. <laughs> With the fucking burnt red face. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I'm like, like standing with my graduation flowers. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I have my graduation hat on, which makes it so much worse. Yeah. But for some reason, the exposure, you couldn't see my body. So it's literally my floating red face in a graduation cap with that hairdo. It's it's mortifying. These are pearls. I don't get embarrassed often. I'm embarrassed of that photo. I look like the fucking sun from the Teletubbies. <laughs> yeah. I personally like the photo of myself in, you know, with when I went with my friend to do the photo shoot yes. with the short Aunt Lola hair. And for some reason, I was wearing shorts, yes. which hasn't happened in a long time. And they were red and white striped, no. vertical stripes. No. And then I had a shirt on. That was also red and white <laughs> vertical stripes, but they were really thick. And I'm like, I look like a, a clown. I just came out of a carnival. A clown. And then the picture was with my ass in a trash can. <laughs> <laughs> we need to find that somewhere. Oh, please, please. It's why, like, though? Why there would was, I put my ass in a trash can and think that would look nice? There was not a lot to pose with in Harrison City, Pennsylvania. Okay? Maybe you had, to, you had to work with what you fucking had. It's an old nasty trash can. It's it was probably the Dairy like, Queen trash can. I'm taking a shit on this graduation. I was making a stand. <laughs> it was a political statement. Damn it. With That's my what red I can stripes. Say. Fuck. <laughs> High school memories, man. Wow. There you go. So uh, I feel ancient. Is, Do you? is the moral of the story and uh, R.I.P. <laughs> to my youth. Yes. So let's all drink to that. <laughs> Woo! Woo! All right. Clinker. All right. Well, with that, let's dive on. Are in. you ready to get into it? <laughs> I am. All right. So today I am drinking red wine Are on you? purpose. Are you? Yes, because okay. I am doing Crimson Peak. Ooh. Ooh. Ah, rated R. I, right, I had never heard of this. Um, no, it was recommended to me by a friend, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and it was like, you have to watch this. And I really enjoyed it, so I am happy to share it with all of you. It is yes. a 2015 gothic horror romance. Love it. The tagline, beware. That's it. It's catchy. <laughs> Straight into it's the catchy. point. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, written and directed by Guillermo del Toro. Nice. Uh, here's your cast, and I apologize. There's a lot of names. Uh. Okay? All right. We all know. I don't. Here's you your apology. Will pale, you will pale in comparison to mine, but go ahead. Oh, no, you're going to compete with oh me today. Oh, my gosh, yes. Oh, fuck. All right, we have Mia Wasikowska as Edith Cushing. Okay. Jessica Chastain as Lucille Sharp. Tom Hiddleston as Thomas Sharp. Mm -hmm. Wow, Tom and Tom. Tom and Tommy. Tommy. Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. Uh, Charlie Hunnam. Oh, we love him. Oh, Charlie Hunnam. When I saw that he was in this movie, I was like, all right, okay, I'll watch. Does he have his Sons of Anarchy vest on in this movie? No, he All plays right. Dr. Alan McMichael. He's a doc. Uh, wow. Lore, Jim Beaver as uh. Caster Cushing. I know. You were trying to keep this from me, and I kind of walked out this morning when you were watching it. And I, I saw my Jim Beaver. You did. I, I was trying to keep it a secret so because I didn't know he was in this, and he was really good lore. I'm going to tell you. John Cusack. And Jim Beaver. That's that's it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Right? Are you ready for the rundown? Yes. Okay. It opens in 1887 with our main girl, Edith Cushing, declaring that ghosts are real. All right. She knows this for a fact because she was first haunted by the ghost of her deceased mother at the age of 10. 
Mm. Oh, shit. Right. So we begin with this encounter. All right. Little Edith is trying to get some sleep when she hears some noises coming from down the hall. Uh-oh. And she peeks up to see the terrifying floating ghost of mummy. <laughs> Mama. Mummy. Uh, this is where I will say the ghosts in this film, I love them. They look super fucking cool and super scary. They're yeah. super creepy. Okay. Uh, so mummy puts her hand on little Edith and tells her that when the time comes, beware of Crimson Peak. Okay. All right. Foreboding. Yeah, you're like, okay. Uh, my eyes are like, yeah. <laughs> Laura's like, what the fuck's happening? Uh-huh. All right, we flash forward 14 years later, so that puts us in 1901. Wow, okay. Wow, going way back in mm-hmm. Buffalo, New York. All right. All right, where Spitfire Edith is now an aspiring author who wants to be like Mary Shelley. Oh, awesome. Very cute. Uh, she's having a rough time getting into the biz, though, because she's a woman. Of course. All right, and the world is annoying, especially at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she heads to her wealthy father's office to yes. take a crack at a new story on his typewriter. Nice. All right, while she's tapping away. At the keys? At the keys in English Baronet. I still don't know what that means. They a try baronet? to explain it in the Isn't movie. It a woodwind instrument. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, a woodwind instrument walked into the office and yeah, courted Edith. Yes, <laughs> you nailed it. That's the rest of the film and scene. Uh, a baronet. I don't know what is it. No, not the instrument. Oh my god. Fact check, Jake. Get it together. Your job. Not the fucking, like, woodwind instrument. I was just looking for deals. I'm sorry. <laughs> now Factor Jake is intrigued by this new instrument. I don't know what it is. I'm about to tell you. A baronet is a hereditary title awarded by the British crown. It's just a noble rank. It's basically nice. you know, good for noble you. noble rank. Congratulations. Right. Congratulations to you. <laughs> All right. So an English baronet, again, not the instrument, uh, named Thomas Sharp arrives for a meeting with Papa Cushing. Okay. Your boy, Jim Beaver. Jim Beef. Jim Beef. Right. Uh, and he is batting his eyelashes at Edith. Uh-oh. Oh, shit. Sir Thomas and his creepy sister, Lady Lucille. All right, Lady Lucille, are there looking for investors because Thomas has invented a machine that will harvest clay and revolutionize the clay mining industry as the world knows it. Okay, I can see that would be very important. (laughs) That's what I was like, how important was clay? I mean, shit, don't ask me. I don't know, probably. (laughs) Watch a fucking scholar, like, email us and be like, let me tell you how important technically clay in in 1901 was very important. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Okay, anyway, Papa Cushing says no fucking dice. Mm -hmm. You're not getting... My money. All right. He thinks the machine is silly, and he does not trust Sir Thomas Sharp. Papa, same. (laughs) Papa, same. Uh, Edith tries to convince Papa to Uh change his mind. Right. Basically because she thinks that Sir Sharp is pretty sexy. Yeah, yeah. But Papa Cushing tells her to drop it and maybe consider Dr. Alan McMichael. Uh, Charlie Hunnam. Our boy. Yeah. All right, instead. Okay, because he's handsome. He has a brand new car. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Come on. And he's a doc. Hello, he just opened a new practice, and he has always been fond of Edith. Wow, there you go. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Well, Sir Thomas Sharp, he's too good at putting on the moves. Mm-hmm. All right, he's a little quicker mm-hmm, mm-hmm, than the doc, mm-hmm. all right? And later that evening, he arrives soaking wet after walking through the rain. Of course. Ever heard of, of an course. umbrella? Were <laughs> 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 umbrellas around then? I don't know. Don't answer that. 
Yes. It's a long time ago, or I don't fucking know when umbrellas were invented. All right. All right. He's looking for a date to the local dance party. Okay. Okay. And Edith agrees, even though she denied the doctor earlier. That so she wasn't going. Ouch. So after this dance, Thomas keeps courting Edith. Okay. All right. Everyone warns Edith against the sharps, especially Papa Cushing, who has found out some undisclosed tea on the creepy brother and sister oh. through a private detective. Because they are kind of, they're kind of odd. He was using his gut instinct. Exactly. Yeah. All right. But Papa Cushing never gets a chance to share this information with Edith mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. an unseen figure busts into his shower session and brutally kills him. And this is sadly. <laughs> right when I walked in. Right when Laura walked in and I was like, girl, you are not going to want to see this R.I.P. Jim Beaver in this film. I was like, I can't look. She, can't, she was look. mortified. No. Right. So anyway, his death is ruled an accident, right? As a slip in the shower, which it was a very lavish shower. Very lavish. Yeah. I'm kind of jealous. Right. Uh, but Dr. Allen is like hella suspicious. He's oh, like, yeah. I don't think so. But Edith is too grief-stricken. I can't talk today. She's too grief-stricken to investigate further and, like, let Dr. Allen keep going. So she just says, like, drop it. Agrees to marry Sir Thomas. What? Mm -hmm. Again, she's grief-stricken. And she moves away with him and his sister to a creepy, somewhat run-down mansion in Cumberland, England. Hmm. Wow. Wow, she must be grief-stricken. It was her papa. Yeah, Papa. Papa. And it was Jim Beaver. Uh, Exactly. Come on. So the castle that they moved to is massive and is built on top of the red rusty clay mine. Remember Mm. his business. Mm -hmm. And it's like sinking into the clay. So you, it's very visually beautiful. Like you see this red clay kind of busting up from the ground. Uh Edith immediately begins seeing and feeling the presence of terrifying ghosts. So this whole house, that coupled with the visual of it, definitely got a vibe, Right, right? Right, right. Lady Lucille, the sister, Mm -hmm. is clearly not happy about Edith's presence, all right? Hmm. And she is weirdly, very weirdly concerned about the newly married couple's sex life. And here's hint, hint. Awkward. Awkward. Uh, Ooh, wow, did you just hear that? Hmm. Damn, all right. To make Edith feel more welcome, all right, Lady L and Thomas insist on shoveling herbal tea, okay, made from Hmm. fire thorn berries, I didn't investigate mm, that. Okay. Um, down Edith's throat. They're very insistent on her drinking this tea. So there's your second okay. hint. Hello, right. red flag, Edith. Exactly. So when A, Edith begins feeling ill, mm-hmm. okay, and B, Thomas mentions that the castle is often referred to as Crimson Peak. Uh, hello. Hello. Edith begins to shit her pants. <laughs> I, as she should. Uh-huh. It's called Crimson Peak because the ore from the clay turns the snow blood red in the winter, oh, which is kind of neat. Interesting. Yeah. I that was a cool, like, visual. Spooky. Very cool. Yes. Uh, despite all of this and despite receiving various clues from blood red ghosts and spirits mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. despite having terrible nightmares about yeah. this entire fucking situation... Hey, Edith, quit drinking the tea. Edith. Edith sleeps with Sir Thomas uh, one snowy night out on the town. What is All wrong right. with Exactly. You? This does what not please heck? Lady Lucille. or it, it does not please me. Yeah. You know, you fucking dumbass. Edith, get it together. Edith, get it together. Meanwhile, Dr. Allen has been reading up on Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh, no. <laughs> Are you kidding? I am really not. Okay. Welcome to the chat, Arthur, Arthur. Conan ACD. Doyle. Come uh, on in. Let's clink. Boom. Boom. He has been reading up on Arthur Conan Doyle, one of his faves. Of course. All right. And he is investigating Papa Cushing's death because it's just not adding up. 
Right. So basically, he's becoming Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> fuck yeah. Basil Rathbone. Oh, shit. <laughs> He is also super fucking suspicious that Edith is now asking for all of her assets to be transferred to England. How convenient. Uh-huh. Hmm. To invest in Sharp's clay business. I can't get over uh, the clay the clay business. Hilarious. The clay biz. Hilarious. Uh, so he links up with Papa Cushing's private investigator from before mm-hmm. Okay, to get the scoop. Mm-hmm. What are you laughing at? Because when you're saying the clay biz, I'm just thinking of like a potter's wheel. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's why I can't get over it. Make some vases. They're in the mansion just like fucking making <laughs> on the potter's wheel like in Ghost. Fucking hell. <laughs> So anyway, did I tell you that he links up with Papa Cushing's private investigator yes. from before? Yeah. So he's getting the same tea. Uh-huh, All right. Uh-huh. We learn that Sir Thomas is already married. <gasps> da, da, da. Oh, no. Whoa. And with that information, because, again, he's always had the hots for Edith. Yeah. All right. The doc is off to Crimson Peak to get his girl. As he should be. As he should be. So back at the ranch. Uh-huh. <laughs> Edith finally fucking snaps out of it. Thank goodness. All right. Does some more digging herself with the help from some ghosts. Oh, nice. And realizes that Sir Thomas isn't just already married. That boy has been married like a whole fucking lot. <laughs> okay. He's a little player. Mm. Whoa. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So obviously the brother and sister duo have been running a marriage scam for years. Nice. To get some cash money. Oh, wow. Yep. And it always ends with Sir Thomas's unsuspecting wealthy lover dead. Mm. Mm-hmm. Via poison from the tea. Of course. Duh, Edith. Holy shit. So Edith goes to confront the duo and walks in on the most terrifying scene in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Lady L and Sir Thomas going at it and not in a brother-sister way. What? Yeah. Yeah. I was I was mortified. Were I was you? mortified. Yeah. I didn't see that coming. Was that necessary to the plot line? I mean... <laughs> I kind of like was the plot line like that was like the big <gasps> that was the big reveal. Well, yeah, because I told the you they were o, weird. You, <laughs> you knew you could kind of tell that something was going on with those two the whole film, but yeah. I you didn't know. So this right, was right. the big like holy shit. <laughs> and at one up. point, Edith is like, "So you're not brother and sister? Like you're lying?" And she's like, "No, we are." And I'm like, "Ah, uh, <laughs> my so, eyes, my eyes." That's that's the terror in this story. That's the terror. Okay, okay. So here's our wrap-up, okay? okay? Dr. Allen arrives at the perfect time. Does he save the day? Well, he tries. Okay, we learn that Lady L is the one that killed Papa Cushing. <gasps> All right, a fight ensues, of course. Of course. Dr. Allen gets a knife to the armpit. To the pit? To the fucking pit. Oh, oh no. it hurt. It hurts to watch. All right. Oh. Sir Thomas tries to, like, act all good and help Edith and Dr. Allen, but, like, two seconds ago, he was just shagging his sis. So, yeah. like, I, no. Like, <laughs> not buying no, it. exactly. Not buying, it. Okay. not buying what you're selling. Yeah, yeah okay. right, right. Uh, Lady L gets stabbed at some point. Okay. And decides to take Sir Thomas down with her by stabbing him in the fucking face. And when I tell you it's fucking brutal, and I've seen a Ooh. lot of horror films, because he, like, pulls the knife out. <gasps> uh, uh. Oh, no. Yeah, if you have, like, a weak stomach, I would, yeah. like, close your eyes during that sequence. Yeah. Oh, no. All right, but, hey, he has a quick turnaround. Yeah. All right, Sir Thomas, because his ghost appears to help distract Lady L so that Edith can kill her with a shovel. Interesting. Interesting. So Edith bids the ghost of him adieu. Is that? Bye-bye. Adieu. Is that? Adieu. Yeah. Thank you. Was that right? See you later. Okay. (laughs) Bid adieu. I didn't know if I used Mm -hmm. that right. I was looking for clarification. Adieu. Thank you. Uh, So 
Edith and a severely injured Dr. Allen escape after she says bye-bye to the ghost Mm -hmm. of Sir Thomas. Edith narrates and reminds us once again that ghosts are real, and that is the end of the film. Interesting. Interesting. How do we feel? How do we feel about that? Well, I have to say, like, uh, if I just sat down and didn't know anything about your movie, I'd be like, hmm, I'm not digging on the plot. Mm -hmm. But when I walked in today... Gorgeous. It was the cinematography... Beautiful. Well, you have to know with like Guillermo del Toro, his visuals mm-hmm. are fucking phenomenal. I mean, it phenomenal. was like I I actually told you I'm going to go in and watch that tonight. Right, right, and, and uh, good performances. So yes. I will say, like this time period is not normally my favorite. That's probably mm-hmm. how I like didn't hear about it because it's yeah. just like eh. But it was stunning, beautiful, like the wardrobes and yeah. the mansion, and again the color theory, which I'll talk about yeah. in a little bit. But it's very. I would okay. highly recommend. It's a good watch, and again, good for like November because it's spooky, but mm-hmm. not like limited to Halloween. Right. So. Would you like to know about my lesson? I sure would. I'm excited about this one. Are you? Yes. It is ghost or spirit photography. Ooh, we haven't talked about that yet. I know, and let me tell you why. At one point in the film, Edith goes to visit Dr. Allen and Mm -hmm. finds a book on the works of Arthur Conan Doyle. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell. He was, like, big in this movie. It was kind of funny. I'm sure he was. All of this ACD talk leads them to talking about ghosts. Of course, Ah. all right. And Dr. Allen breaks into his collection of glass-plated ghost photographs. Like, that's kind of hot. Jake, if you did that, I'd be like, "Mm, all right, okay, I like you. All right, all right, take notes. And he says, I believe spirits leave their impression on things. Oh, And they, like, talk about the photographs. So ghost photography is defined as a type of photography whose primary goal is to capture images of ghosts and other spiritual entities. I love it. Yes. So some people do distinguish between ghost photography and spirit photography, but a lot of what I found doesn't, so I'm not going to. Okay. All right. So would you like some history? I would. All right. So we're going late 1820s. All right. The first successful photograph was captured by French inventor Joseph Napici. That's not right. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Napici. How was he feeling when he recorded it? (laughs) Peachy. (laughs) Fucking hell, I'm so sorry. Fucking shit. All right. Anyway, afterwards, photography began progressing very quickly, right? And thus, there was a lot of experimenting happening. I really wrote thus in my notes. Like, I did that. Who am I? Thus. I'm a, I'm a lot smarter when I'm typing. I'm a am th- I I'm a, Shakespeare? I'm a thuspian. <laughs> am I a genius? Because I wrote the word in thus. There was a lot of experimenting happening. Shit. All right. So now we're going to flash to the 1850s. Okay. So these experiments really started amping up and new effects and techniques were being discovered, such as double exposure. Ah. Uh. Yes, so this experimentation led to ghost-like images being caught on camera. Mm-hmm. It basically required some mirrors, smart positioning, and, like, long exposure times, yeah. which is neat. Interesting. Yeah, so then later on, using glass plate negatives, which was mentioned in the film, right, right. one could create double images in photos to make it look like an actual ghost was, like, hanging out with I you. Know, that's cute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, of course, people soon realized that they could use some of these techniques to make some money, right? 
Yeah. As humans do. Dollar dollar bills. Uh-huh. So in 1862, amateur Boston photographer William Mumler comes out of fucking nowhere with what is now considered to be the first ghost photograph. Oh, really? Yes. Interesting. The photograph supposedly features Mumler's deceased cousin, which was confirmed by a medium friend of his. Hmm. This was this ghost. Is it suspicious? (laughs) A little bit. Hmm. Uh, It was written about in spiritualist newspapers such as the Banner of Light, and people, like, started to lose their fucking minds over this. Okay. So Mumler left his old life behind and became a somewhat successful photographic medium. Interesting. I think this is so neat. Yeah. Like with the rise of technology, yeah. how it weaved its way well, into you're mediumship. In the 1800s and spiritualism and exactly. Arthur Conan Doyle. The, We're going to uh, get into it, girl. Yeah. The right. Cottingly Fairies. Yeah. I know. Right? Okay. Yeah. So he set up shop in and around Boston and New York and mm-hmm. basically preyed on those who lost loved ones in the Civil War. Oh, like purposefully. Oh, we talked about that. Yes. Yeah. By supposedly capturing photos of them for around. $10 a piece, which was Ooh, super expensive yes. at the time. Yes. Yikes. Wow. Uh, Mumler did not guarantee that a spirit would appear, but people lined up anyway because it basically became a form of healing for those in like deep, deep grief. Yeah. Uh, yikes. Wow. Uh, it is believed he created these photographs using a double exposure technique and he like used old negatives as. The ghost, but like it's not, I couldn't find exactly how he did it. How he did it. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Mumler's most famous ghost photograph is that of Mary Todd Lincoln Mm -hmm. and the ghost of her dead husband, Abe Lincoln. Wow. And it was the last photo of her. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, People eventually began catching on Mm -hmm. (laughs) to like, okay, Um, hold on a sec. Right. And Mumler was put on trial for fraud around 1869, but was acquitted. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So even after demonstrations in court of like how he could make this happen, right? People could simply not imagine how he could have pulled all of this off. Right? They could not get it. Right? Yeah. So in the film, I believe from what I saw, they did show a photograph of Mumlers from the 1870s of a medium named Master Herod. Interesting. So I like that they like actually yeah, tied in the yeah. history of ghost photography. Yeah. Super neat. So, like you said, ghost photography grew with the rise of spiritualism in the late 1800s into the 1900s. Uh, Mumler gave up the biz after the trial, basically after his shit was called out. (laughs) I'm retired. (laughs) Oops, bye. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he inspired many others, one of them being William Hope from England. Interesting. Yes. Hope basically used the exact same approach as Mumler, except this time he preyed on those grieving from World War I. I cannot uh, say that. World War One. <laughs> WW WW One. WW1, thank you. Of course, our man, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, yes. was a huge believer of this phenomenon and William Hope specifically. Mm-hmm. He even wrote a book defending all of this entitled The Case of Spirit Photography. Oh. From Gosh. 1922. I love this man. I wonder how we, we could probably open a whole library <laughs> yeah. just with Arthur Conan Doyle. I love writings. and hate him. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, well. You, I mean, you can really see. I mean, you, we kind of cap on him and make fun of him and all that. Yeah. But you can kind of see with bringing in photography, it was a brand new thing. And right. if you look at the old way that they had to do photography on those silver plates and, you know, I mean, it you would can be kind wild. of see. You wouldn't would, understand. You would think that's magic. Exactly. And that's, you know, exactly. absolutely. And some of it might have yeah. been real. That's yeah. the killer here. Yeah. So anyway, however... 
mm-hmm. whatever Arthur Conan Doyle was saying, of course, our pal Harry Houdini <laughs> uh, had to be there uh, trying to prove him wrong. Of okay? course. And he yeah. was uh, devoted to proving Hope wrong and uh, proving him to be a fraud. Of course. Aren't those two fucking hilarious? They are. They fucking crack me up. It's so funny. Like I literally we need BFFs, but like they arch enemies. Exactly. We have yeah. to do like a round two episode or on that. Arch enemy. <laughs> I was you are say, my arch enemy. I wasn't gonna call out how you said that. You are not my articulable <laughs> arch. <laughs> lore, are you good? I love when Lore drinks wine. <laughs> it's like mm, the best. I All know. right. Makes so, me sleepy. <laughs> makes me sleepy. So with the rise of technology and smartphones, ghost photography still pops up all the time. Yeah. Examples being ghost adventures. Of course. Ghost hunters, yeah. et cetera. Uh, orbs are ghost lights or ghost balls. And yeah. I feel like that is what most people... <laughs> you said balls. <laughs> ghost balls. <laughs> the ghost twig and berries. <laughs> oh, shit. Anyway, I'm going to pick a movie that like focuses on orbs and go into that specifically yes. because in my research for this, I found that it is a little different. Okay. So I'm going to wait awesome. for that. Um, I would like to note that even though it is easier than ever to fake spirit photography, it is also easier than ever to debunk it. Mm-hmm. So some mm-hmm. of it I think yeah. is real. Yeah. So remember a few episodes ago, I told you that we stumbled upon all of these like old occult books. Yes. Okay. And yes. we now have like some shit. We have a library. So I found one called Modern Physical Phenomena. Phenomena. <laughs> we, we know. I love that word. Phenomena. Uh, recent Physical Phenomena. <laughs> Phenomena. <laughs> Phenomena by H. Carrington, PhD, published in 1919. Wow. And it describes a ghost photography session. So I figured I would share Ooh, it with you because I thought it was super fucking cool. Yeah. Like I was... Oh, my God. Were you mesmerized? I was mesmerized. I think this is so neat. All right. So in this session, Mr. LaFlohick, that's not right. Mm-hmm, no, mm-hmm. it's not. Mr. LaFlohick, I'm so sorry, and his wife, through a series of sittings they attended with a local medium, became interested in psychic phenomena. <laughs> phenomena. Phenomena. And he was told that he himself even possessed medium, mediumistic powers, however oh, you want to say it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Made curious by this. He and his wife sat together in the dark for a number of evenings to see what they could obtain. Okay. I'm sure they did. I'm sure. Ooh, <laughs> spicy Jake. All right. The method of procedure was as follows. Okay. One, two, or three cameras were focused on themselves. Wow. They must have been wealthy. Exactly. Uh, seated on two chairs at the far end of the room. Okay. The room was made completely dark and the caps of the cameras were removed. Mr. LaFlohick would then find his way back to his chair in the darkness. Can you Mm -hmm. imagine? That'd be funny. Yeah. (laughs) A period of waiting varying from 15 to 30 minutes then intervened, during which various phenomena presented themselves. Mm -hmm. When impressed to do so, a string was pulled, which released the flash Okay. 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 The cameras recorded what was taken in the room, and then Mr. Lafloehick, I said it different every every time time. I said his name. That's all right. I know who you're talking about. Thank you. Would find his way back to the camera, replace the the caps, remove the plates, develop the photographs, and note the results. Can you imagine the? You really had to want it. Oh my gosh, really yeah, the time. It's not like today where you just like click, 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 click. click, click. Exactly. No. So when developed, many of these plates showed curious markings, such as twisted lines of emanating light and fiery glowing auras. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, how this is to be explained, the writer of this book says, I do not venture to say. 
and merely publish the illustration, allowing the reader to form his own opinion thereon. Interesting. And so I did share a few of these photos. So it yes, had the I photos saw, from this that. session. Yeah, it was awesome. I was like, I, I love it. It's That's, so it was wild. very cool. Very cool. And it's really interesting because as someone who believes in ghosts and spirits, I'm like, yeah. is it the like camera technique or yeah. did they actually capture something? I mean, I think I think a lot of it probably came down to the exactly. camera technique. Exactly. But then but again, you know. I think like yeah. you had probably one the, in a thousand or the whatever. needle in the haystack, yeah. Isn't it so cool? That I love is, that. It's so fascinating. It was one of my favorite like lessons that yeah. I stumbled upon. So I that is Crimson Peak in I my ghost photography lesson. Would you like some fun facts? I would. All right. The story of Crimson Peak was supposedly inspired by an actual ghost encounter of Del Toro's at a haunted hotel in New Zealand. Ooh. Ooh. That's fun. I think <laughs> that that's, was a fun I think that, that's fun. I thought it was cool that it was based on something he actually yeah, experienced, experienced and then it inspired it. I think well, that's sure. neat. Uh, the story is very beautifully written. You know, I as an ode so, yeah. to him, especially the end monologue. I didn't okay. want to spoil it, but Edith kind of narrates the ending, and okay. it's a very good wrap-up on, like, ghosts okay. and what Ooh, they symbolize. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the film inspirations include The Exorcist, The Shining, The Haunting, and The Omen. Ooh. And you can definitely see that we've done Yes, there. yes, yes. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch was originally cast as Thomas Sharp, but had to drop out. Ooh. And Tom Hiddleston did a really good job, but I think Benedict Cumberbatch would have done just better. like fucking perfect. Yes, yes, I it agree just, with like, that. When I heard that, I was like, oh, damn it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Uh, the role of Edith's father was written specifically for your man, Jim Bieber. Oh, no. Bieber? <laughs> Their relation to Justin. <laughs> Justin Bieber's dad, Jim. He takes him to all his concerts. Good luck, son. I'm proud of you either way, son. Oh, I'm going to beat my pants. Sometimes, man. Oh, fuck. It was written specifically for Jim Beaver. Yes. <laughs> fuck. After seeing him in Deadwood. Uh, I, you two would love Deadwood. But you I keep loved saying him. that. I loved him in Deadwood. I am very excited to watch it because hey, Jim Beaver did really good in this. I don't know a lot of his work outside of Supernatural, so yes. it was I cool know he's to a see great him. Dad, super supportive of his son. <laughs> exactly, he loves Justin. Justin. <laughs> uh, yeah, I personally, the first time I remember, you know, seeing Jim Beaver and being like, "This dude is awesome," was in Supernatural, mm-hmm. and then of course you go up and you look and you see like what is his work, what's his body right. of work, and then I saw that. He was in Deadwood. Now, I'm not a huge Western fan or anything like that. Are you sure? Because you really liked country <laughs> Shut up. I did. Yeah, I recall I an did. evening eating uh, country food and That's watching right. a Western. So. Eight seconds. Anyway, <laughs> any who's it, I went and watched Deadwood. Yeah. And I thought it was great. Did you? And then it also had Unser from, you know, Sons of Anarchy. So those two characters, <laughs> awesome. You two would love it. I'm going to check it out because it, keep, like it. it does keep popping up. And is there magic in it? No. It's just a no, Western. No, it's, oh, really, it. it's based on a town during the gold rush that, you know, the lawlessness and all of that kind of Ooh, stuff. Uh. Deadwood. It's a, based on a real town. All right. Well, I'm excited we'll to check, check it, it out. out. All right. Uh, the last name, Cushing, in the story yes. is a nod to horror legend Peter Cushing. I was wondering about that. Which I would like to dive into him a little yes. bit because I don't know a lot about him and no. I'd like to learn. Yeah. And he's right up there with, you know, Vincent Price I know. and Legosi and, yeah, you know, Yeah, but all I them. feel like we haven't tapped into him no, yet. No, so we haven't. This was maybe a reminder to I do like so. It. 
Uh, this film is obviously a great reminder of color theory. Like my love, yes. it's a great example of it uh, with the red. Mm-hmm. But not only the red, the rest of the film and specifically in the mansion is like this bluish green hue. Uh-huh. So then when you see the red, because yes. red and green are opposites, it's just so striking and it's it's used so well, like I, I literally like yeah. get chills when yeah. people do this when they use it. Well, you can tell they pay attention. And uh, the doctor character, our mm-hmm. man, mentions the colors red and green when they're talking about okay. photography. So I feel like it was very, very interesting. And you kind of you mentioned that in your Nightmare on Elm Street, the red and green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With exactly. His sweater, the red and green. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right, it, cool. it does always make me think of Christmas, but it was very, <laughs> yeah. very beautifully yeah. used here. Uh, Del Toro has stated that the color red is meant to specifically represent ghosts throughout the film. So, like, if you see a character wearing red, uh, it means they are going to become a ghost. They are uh, related to ghosts. Like, okay. it, that was used very intentionally, Got which it. is, I love that. Mwah. Okay. Uh, moths and butterflies are a big part in the film. Okay. And I was like, maybe going to do that as my lesson. But then mm-hmm. ghost photography was cooler. But yes. I would like to dive into, like, the mythology of yes. moths and butterflies. Yes. I think that's cool. Uh, those are my fun facts. I love it. That's what I have. Isn't that that was nice? I thought that was so interesting. It was a cool surprise yes. because it was a movie that I literally knew nothing about. Mm-hmm. And so thank you to all of you who recommend us things. Yes, so we love it. Then we can share because I would recommend this. This is a good film. Yeah. I mean, like I said, just a little bit I saw. I told you I'm going to go You're watch intrigued. this tonight. Yeah, I know. absolutely. All right, up top. Yay, awesome. All right, well, I think that means you are up. I'm up to the plate. Up to the plate. All right. So I am doing a movie, and I think we've talked about So let me first, let me just say this. Oh, no. I have loved this movie since the time that it came out. And okay. I have been trying to get you to watch this with me. You have. For years. 20 years, yeah. right? Yeah, okay. yeah. And so I believe that I said I was coming home from work last night, and all I wanted to do was, like, make You're some You're going to call me out, aren't you? And watch this movie. Finally, you're going to watch it with me. Me, you, Jake, sit down. About 30 minutes in, Leanne's over there. <laughs> Jaws part two. <laughs> oh, fuck. Dude, I'm the worst. You know what? You're telling me that I pick really boring movies. I think that's no. what you're saying You know to me. what the bitch of this one was? Is that I was really into it, and yeah. it was one of those where I just could not keep my fucking eyes open, and I'm going to go back and watch it because I Are really you? did like it. Yeah? yeah. Did you? I'm this so sorry, Interesting. Lord. This is a very different movie, very different from me, mm-hmm. because I didn't even realize you had said, is this movie subtitled? And I was like, no. Yeah. But there was a lot, and I was, usually yeah. don't watch subtitled movie, but I am doing The Red Violin today. Yes, Laura, you have yes. been waiting. <laughs> yes. Huh. I don't think a lot of people know this movie. No, I had never heard of it. I yeah. do like that we matched our themes. We're yeah. very red today. Yes, yes, we are. We are. Uh, the Red Violin or Le Violin Rouge that was, was the original title. Yes. I can tell you I'm going to mess up a lot oh, no. of names because this is considered a foreign film. Welcome to my party. Yes, yeah. 1998 drama. Love the 90s. And in grand lore fashion, two hours and 11 minutes. Holy- you know, girl, that's why I fell asleep. Stop doing this to me. <laughs> you know what? I pick like hour long films. I gotta get my money's worth. Yeah. All right, directed by Francois Girard, screenplay by Girard and Don McKellar. Okay. Music, I am gonna tell you right now, I'm gonna mess up a lot of these names. Music by Jean Corgliano, mm-hmm. which earned him an Academy Award. Beautiful music. Yes, the film won eight Genie Awards, including Best Motion Picture, and was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Foreign Film. You did it. Congratulations. So I'm telling you, this is a good movie. 10 out of 10. Even Way to if go. you have never 
heard of it, I'm this is one of my all-time favorite That's what films. we're here to do. I feel yes. like sometimes people don't like when we pick obscure movies, but aren't mm-hmm. you here to like get a recommendation? Yes, Damn like it. this. I don't think a lot of people know this. Please go watch it. It's so awesome. Yes. All right. Unfortunately, uh, the budget was 10 to 18 million and it only brought in 10 million from the box office. Or you've just devastated me. But it was considered, you know, a hit. Is it like a, kind like of. a cult hit, maybe? A culty hit, gotcha. maybe. All right. So the cast, and I'm going to go through this a little bit differently as the long cast, but the film takes place over several locations. Okay. Right? So in Cremona, Italy, the characters are Carlo Cecchi, hopefully, as Nicola Bassotti. Okay. Irene Grizzoli as Anna Biscotti and Anita Lorenza as Cesca. Did you say biscotti? Biscotti. I told you I was hungry for biscotti. It was biscotti, <laughs> but I told you I was hungry for biscotti I today. Say, you did say I biscotti. really I did say. I was like, ooh, I wonder if I can make some biscotti. I too am hungry for, for biscotti. some biscotti yes. and a cup of coffee. Yes. Oh, wow. All right. So then they move on to Vienna, and we have Jean-Luc Bedeau as Georges Poussin mm-hmm. and Christophe Kunz. I hope I said that right, as Casper Weiss. Uh, you're doing great. This sweetie. little boy. The cutest. Put them in your pocket. Cutest. All right. Then we move on to Oxford, and we have Jason Fleming as Frederick Pope and Greta Scrocci as Victoria Bird. Uh, Shanghai, we have Sylvia Chang as Xiang Pei and Xiao Fei Han as Young Ming. Then we move on to Montreal. We have Samuel L. Jackson. There you go. A name we all know, for heaven's sakes, it's the first one, as Charles Moritz. It's like, yes, a well-known person. Everybody's probably like, I'm not watching this movie. I don't know nobody in this. And I'm like, Samuel L. Jackson, there he is. The man, the myth. (laughs) It's Charles Moritz. (laughs) Oh, no. All right, Confiori plays the auctioneer. Don McKellar, who you might recognize as the person that wrote the screenplay, ah, plays Evan Williams. Nice. Julian Richings plays Nicholas Olsberg, bringing us back to Supernatural, where he played Death. And I can oh, only think of it eating the fried chicken wings and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Uh, Russell Yen as Older Ming and Sandra Oh as Madame Ming. Um, someone, I feel like a super fan out there should go through all oh, of our episodes and take like, what was your longest cast list? Cause I, I think know. that might've been it. Holy crap. That was that a was long was one. So girl. long. It was long. Well, I'm going to tell you why. Okay. Okay. The story spans four centuries. Okay. Well, <laughs> all right. <laughs> when and you we, put it like that. And we cover a lot of ground here. Right. Uh, the story is about a mysterious red colored violin and its many owners. Ooh, many. Many. You know, right. Traveling over five countries, the story is narrated by a fortune teller by way of a tarot spread. Okay. So Love where I'm that. bringing my magic in. Yes, girl. All right. We begin. In 1681. Okay, so we're going to, okay, whoa. Okay, so you got to listen to these dates. We begin in 1681 <laughs> with renowned violin maker, Nicola Bassotti. Okay. All right, his wife Anna is pregnant and is worried that she is too old to have a baby. Aww. So she asks her servant, Cheska, who is also a fortune teller, to read for her unborn child. Okay. Cheska explains that until a child is born, it is... It, it and its mother are very connected. So okay. it would be impossible to read for the child, but she could read for Anna. Okay, gotcha. Because they're connected, right? Yes. Anna picks five cards from the deck, and Cheska begins to read for her. Okay. Right? The first card she pulls is the moon. 
Cheska tells her this means that she will live a long life. Okay. Okay. But at his workshop, Nicholas has crafted what he believes to be his greatest masterpiece, which is a violin for his newborn child. As he is just about to varnish the violin, he is summoned home only to find that Anna had gone into labor and both she and the baby have died. Well, that's Hello, devastating. Jessica, hey, girl. <laughs> you got it wrong. All right. <laughs> Reading incorrect. Right. Right off the bat. You're fired. <laughs> Heartbroken, Nicola finishes the violin after varnishing it with like a red color. Okay. And then we see him hang the violin to dry. Okay. Okay. The second card that Cheska picks, so it kind of goes back and forth, right? Right. So it shows her picking the card. Yes. And then goes into the experience. Yes. Oh, I see. So the second card that Cheska turns over is the hanged man. And she explains to Anna that this means disease and suffering for those around her. Okay. And then we see the next scene jump more than 100 years to Vienna. In 1793. Wow. Okay. It seems the violin has made its way to an orphanage in Austria mm-hmm. and is used to teach the orphans to play music. Cute. It lands in the hands of one particular small boy named Casper Weiss. Casper Weiss. The monks realize this kid, although young, is a gifted violin prodigy. Mm-hmm. So they reach out to a violin instructor named Pusin. And ask him to adopt Casper so that he may tutor Casper properly on the violin. Nice. Casper loves this violin so much that he talks to it and he sleeps with it. Oh, And it is so precious. He sleeps with it? Yes. Ouch. I was asleep. I know. You were already already snoring. (laughs) All right. Pusin brings Casper to Vienna and they soon learn that the prince who is visiting Vienna is looking for a prodigy to take back to Prussia with him. Okay. Pusin puts young Kaspar on an unrealistic pra- practice regimen, which takes a toll on the young boy as he has a little heart defect. Right? He has a heart defect? He does. Ow. On the day of the recital, just as he is about to play for the prince, the stress proves too much for young Kaspar, and he collapses and dies. Laura. I know. It's so sad. What the fuck, girl? I know. Ouch. I know. R.I.P. Casper. I know. And he's so cute. Casper is returned to the orphanage and buried with his beloved red violin so that he may continue to play in heaven. No, stop that. Right? I'm going to (laughs) cry. But later, the violin is stolen by grave robbers who travel to Oxford, England with it. What the fuck? The time period is now the 1880s. Damn. All right. Cheska turns over the third card, and it is the devil. Oh, shit. She tells Anna that she will be seduced by a handsome, intelligent man who is the devil. Dun, dun, dun. Introducing Lord Frederick Pope, who happens upon the travelers as he is out walking on his estate. He tells them he is drawn in by the beautiful music coming from the red violin. Mm. He tells them that they can enjoy his hospitality— in trade for the violin. So now Frederick is in possession of the violin, and he draws quite the crowd to his concert with his compositions and the red violin. Mm -hmm. Because she's pretty. She's pretty. Yeah. His inspiration is his lover, Victoria. Victoria. 
who acts as his carnal muse. Nice. Which at one point you kind of woke up and you're like, what is that? Dude, I woke up and I saw the most horrifying sight and I was like, I'm going back to bed, Lore. What the fuck are you making me watch? Do you want want me to say? Go ahead, go ahead. I wake up, okay, from a slumber, having a nice little dream. I'm up. Uh And my eyes peel and I see this pale as hell man. A lot of this, thighs. A, a lot, lot of thighs. <laughs> yeah, a lot of thighs. Naked as hell. He's very tall. Luscious, curly, flowing locks. Uh-huh. Very red. With like the violin placed so you couldn't see the peen. Mm-hmm. But it was like. It was there. It was yeah, there. I mean, it was, yeah. There were implications. Yes. And it was like, was it supposed to be sexy? Is my, you know what? Hold on. I'm, I'm being mean. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. Lee. Sleepy Lee was like, mm, good night. I'm going to pass. <laughs> I'm going to roll over and go well, right back to Because you said he was like, supposed to be like the sexy one. Well, and I just like, I don't know. I just woke up and I saw I saw the violin <laughs> on his bare skin. And I was like, I'm going back to bed. That ain't it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Reel it in. Reel it I'm in. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. You asked. <laughs> so Victoria, yeah. his lover, his yeah. muse, is no stranger to the arts because she herself is a writer. Nice. Yes. Her latest story must take her to Russia. For research, and she bids Frederick adieu. Uh, oh my God! Hello. Did you write that too? I did. No shit. <laughs> Love that. Without his muse, Frederick loses all of his inspiration and falls into a deep depression. Is that when he was like laying Sh- naked with the, with the violin? With the violin. Yeah. He didn't uh, look lonely to me. <laughs> <laughs> when he stops writing her, she quickly returns home to inspire her lover once again. But when she arrives, she's she already inspired. He has found himself another muse. <laughs> oh no. And in her rage, she pulls a gun on the couple, only to wind up shooting Frederick's one true love, the red the violin. violin. Yeah, you were sleeping. No, I saw that part. Oh, did you? Because it was equally as mortifying <laughs> as the other part when I had to see him thrusting. I it was graphic. It was graphic. I was like, oh my God. And again, good night. <laughs> The violin ends up in the hands of Pope's Chinese butler, who, upon returning to Shanghai, sells the red violin at the antique shop. Okay. The owner repairs the violin that Victoria caused, Mm -hmm. uh, and many years later, in the 1930s, it is bought by a young woman and her small daughter. Okay. Okay? As Cheska reads the fourth card, which is the justice card, she tells Anna that tough times lie ahead, and there will be a trial along with persecution. And Anna will be found guilty. Oh, shit. Okay. okay. So jump to the 1960s in Shanghai, where we find ourselves in the middle of the chaos, which is China's cultural revolution. Okay. Okay. So during this period, anything seen as frivolent or from the Western culture is not tolerated. Gotcha. A music teacher named Zhu Yan is publicly denounced when his love of Western classical music is found out. Oh, shit. Political officer Zhang Pi defends him, and he is saved. Cut to Zhang Pi returning to her home where she retrieves her hidden red violin. A gift from her mother because she was the young girl in the antique shop with mom. Ouch, mom. Okay. Okay. So she is interrupted by a young boy named Ming whose father is also a political officer and friend of Zhang Pi. She shows him the violin and plays it for him, telling him that he must keep all of this a secret. Of course. Aww. I said to Jake last night, who tells a kid a secret and expects him to keep it? Of course, five minutes later, oh, shit. he tells dad and they're off to find <laughs> Damn it, Zhang kid. Pi, Right? Fuck. Yeah. 
Uh, she's quick. She's too quick for them, right? Because she has made her way to the music teacher's house and pleads with him to guard and take the violin. Aww. He tells her he will keep it safe. And years later, when he has died of old age, all of these instruments that he's been hiding and keeping safe um, are found. And he saved them from being destroyed, right? Aww. So the Chinese government ships all of these instruments to our final destination of Montreal okay. to be auctioned off. The year is 1997. Oh. All right. That's important. Remember <laughs> I that. I love the 90s, Ma. Right. The final tarot card is the death card, oh, shit. which Cheska explains does not predict death, but rebirth. Hey, yes. Right? Yes. So appraisal. Ch- appraisal. <laughs> appraisal. Try that one. Appraisal. <laughs> Appraiser Charles Moritz, Samuel L. Jackson, the only person we know in this, is called in to access the sitch, right? Yeah. Instantly, he recognizes the red violin, which is rumored to be the legendary last violin of Nicola Basati. Naked boy. No. 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 The the first guy. The maker of the violin. (laughs) Get your mind off the naked boy. Gotta let those thighs go, baby. (laughs) It scarred my brain. I'm not kidding. I woke up and was mortified. He calls on Restorer, named Evan Williams, played by the writer, mm. uh, to do some work on it. And in the meantime, Moritz also decides to purchase the only known copy of the Red Violin oh. from a private collection in London for comparison's sake. Okay. Okay. So we also find out that Moritz had sent some of the varnish samples off to the lab for testing. Mm-hmm. And upon reading the results, finds out that it contains human blood. Right, oh. realizing that Nicola had carried his wife's body to his shop after her death, where he slit her wrist and collected her blood, in which he used to varnish the red violin. No, yes, Ew. right. So that's why her fortune. I always sound her, like Cardi B when I say I know. <laughs> You're like, I know, I know. Yeah. So her tarot card reading was true. You know, but it was the violin. Yeah, but it was the violin because it was her, right? Laura, do you see the I tears? See, you're, you I know see your eyes are red and a little eyes? watery. This movie is so good. I'm telling you, it's one of my all-time favorites. That's as the beautiful. red violin, I know, isn't it? You could have enjoyed it if you would have stayed away. Yeah, if you would have only stayed away. Fuck. As the red violin makes its way to Duvall's auction house, we see several interested parties vying for the masterpiece. Okay. Okay? We see the Order of the Monks who had the violin in their possession in the beginning. Right. Right? Because they had it for over 100 years. You let it go. Yeah. You let (laughs) slip through your fingers. Congratulations. As a matter of fact, you buried it with poor Casper. Fuck. Um, The Pope Foundation has sent somebody, you know, to try to get it back for the Pope Foundation. And adult Ming... And his wife are trying to get the oh, violin. Does Ming get it? Please tell me Ming gets no, it. No, he Damn doesn't. Uh, Moritz stops by the auction house before his flight home to New York and sneakily switches the real red violin with the copy. See me well. Uh-huh. Which sells for $2.4 million. A copy. Uh-huh. At, well, but well, nobody, they, didn't know. They, think they, didn't know. they think it's the real thing, oh, right? Samuel L. I know. As he calls his wife and asks to speak to his daughter, he tells her he has a special present for her when he gets home. Because everybody he talked to, he was like, what would you do with this great work of art? And yeah. the one guy was like, what? Take it apart and see how it works. He's like, then you just don't get it. And so I think oh. it was like 
it was a gift for his daughter, it. but he wanted to preserve the legacy, the red right? Oh, yeah. Wow. Samuel, so, I know, right? So, Ouch. Yeah. That is that's beautiful, isn't it? It is. So that's the end. Oh, Lord. Wasn't that good? Yeah, that one hit me. That one hit me in the feels. I'm not even gonna feels? lie to you about it. All right, I I love this movie so so much. All right, so here's a couple fun facts. Okay. All right. The tarot deck used in the movie was reportedly designed specifically for the movie. Ooh, fun! Yeah, okay. right. Um, not really accurate. I don't from the, the way card? from the way I read, like what she was saying that they meant. Yeah, the death I card is rebirth, to, but that one surprised yeah. me because you had me at the hangman. I was like, oh, really? Yeah, but exactly. every reader does read different, so I does guess you different. can't really like. Judge. Yeah, so it's based on the reader's interpretation. For sure, right? Um, the movie. I did not know this. I find this very fascinating. Are you ready for this? Yeah. The movie is based on the 1720 Red Mendelssohn Stradivarius violin. What do you mean? So it's based on a real violin made by Stradivarius. Was it actually made with, like, human blood? So it was rumored to, oh. but then I think tests proved that it was made— uh, Mixed with wine, like it's a, a falsification. Red, it was falsification, but there is rumors. But that's cool that it inspired. It was a story, inspired. Though. So Stradivari crafted his instruments in his small shop in Cremoni, Italy, which is where oh, we neat. see in the beginning. Yeah. Right. Uh, without a doubt, he is the most renowned violin maker ever. Oh, cool. Which was same with Bassotti, right? So it was like a little nod. It was a nod, but not long after he made the red violin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seemed to up and vanish for 200 years. What? Right? Really? Uh, it popped up in the 1930s in Berlin, but okay. nobody knew where it was for 200 years. Right? Oh. Um, it had been purchased after it would popped up in the 30s. It was then purchased by an heir to an awesome composer named Felix Mendelssohn which is why they call it the Mendelssohn. Oh. Um, in 1956, it is then purchased by a New York industrialist who kept it in, like, great shape. Mm-hmm. He took really good care of it. But in 1990, he decides to put it up for sale on the auction block anonymously at Christie's of London. Okay. Okay? Then it is purchased for $1.7 million Holy moly. In... What I say, 1990, mm-hmm. 1.7 million. Yeah. Okay, remember this. Holy shit. By Theodore Pitcairn. Pitcairn. Okay. That's a, that's a town in Pennsylvania. So I just had flashbacks. I'm okay. sorry. Ah. Okay. okay. Bought as a sweet 16 gift for his granddaughter, renowned violinist, Elizabeth Pitcairn. Okay. Who studied with it for many years in her rural Pennsylvania home. Pitcairn remained silent about owning it until she became famous. So the movie was actually made before she came out with the fact that she had this violin that had nobody knew where it was. Are you fucking telling me creepy. right now? Wait, uh, let me no. finish. Let me finish. Don't creepy, tell right? Me right now that the- creepy. Okay, so Elizabeth's great grandfather okay. was named John, and he was the founder of PPG. The Pittsburgh Plate and Glass Company, 
founded in 1883, and the country's biggest producer of thick, flat glass made with a plate process. By the 1900s, they expanded bringing paint into the mix, becoming PPG and PP. Say PP. Are you down with OPP? You know me. All right. Becoming PPG Industries. Okay. Which, if you are from Pittsburgh. Right, you know. And I right. mean, PPG paints are everywhere. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> OPP paints, that shit O-P-P is paints. everywhere. I can't unhear you saying PP now. I know. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I know. PP wee wee. So here's my question for you. Is that, is Pit Karen named I, after these people? I believe are so, yeah. Are you fucking kidding I'm me? I'm not kidding. That is wild. Right? Like, this is where we grew up. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Crazy. Like, not just Pittsburgh. Like, this is like... And I knew none of this. And I this is literally one of my favorite. That you know? is really cool, Laura. Thank you. That yeah. is just... I am like... I'm stunned right now. Mm-hmm. I'm just absolutely stunned. Right? That's very cool. And the Red Mendelssohn would actually be worth $16 million today. Well, I was wondering when you said the 90s, I was like, what would that fucking equate to today, man? 16 mil. Holy shit. And she's still in possession of it as far as I know. She's still living in Pitcairn? Because I know Uh, where that is. No, I don't think so. I don't (laughs) think so. No. I like the way you think, babe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but she has a website, uh, which I'll link in the show notes. You go on and like, Very cool. Very Very cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, what can my lesson be today? Yes. I I mean, I'm going to talk about blood magic. Are you? I am. Laura, okay. I am. You have to. This is have to great example it is a great example of it so blood magic is defined as the use of blood as an energy source in a spell or ritual okay okay so i'm gonna go very very basic here because this shit gets super super deep yeah and it's not really something like i utilize in my practice it can get dark yes yeah so therefore i am not an expert on this and we're just giving the basics right all right so blood magic is used when you need to infuse a small part of your life force or energy into a spell. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, When you hear blood magic, you may feel intimidated or maybe find it frightening. Same. Right. I mean, blood is kind of... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maybe maybe it conjures up visions of ritual sacrifice or a horror Uh, movie, you know, but that's like pretty much cinematic drama. I was going to say pop culture really hasn't done it a (laughs) good justice there. Right. Um, So I think we can all agree that blood in general is uh, pretty powerful. Absolutely. Historically, right? It is featured heavily in religious traditions. Mm -hmm. Um, In Leviticus, it states that the life flesh is in the blood. Okay. Right? In mythology, think vampires. Vampires, it is their life force, right? Mm-hmm. Survival. Right. Same. Yes. Same for humans. <laughs> same. Same. <laughs> yeah. It's associated with life and death. Mm-hmm. If you're passionate for something, it's in your blood, right? Uh. If you're feeling bad for someone, your heart bleeds for them. Oh, wow. Right? Okay. If you're always trying to help the underdog and fight for injustice, you're considered a bleeding heart. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So in alchemy, practitioners used blood by isolating its classical elements and treating illnesses. Okay. So air was used for epilepsy and migraines, uh, water for cardiac and neurological disorders, and fire to bring you back from the brink of death. Oh, interesting. Right. So like the elements within blood. That's right. very cool. Yeah. So speaking of fire, we all know that it can be dangerous. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. But that doesn't stop us from using it for good. Right? Yeah. We yeah. can build a fire, it heats our home. Sure. We can use a fire to cook our food. I love fire. Right? 
Um, <laughs> that sounded creepy. I yeah. love fire. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. can cook your food, right? Yeah. Uh, but it can also burn your house down. Well, same with water. Right. Water can drown you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it depends on how you use it. Right. Ah, I ah. see. Yeah. So the same can be said. Uh, see where I'm going there? Yes. The same can be said of blood magic, and it mm. all comes down to your intention. Absolutely. Always, yes. Right. Well said, Lore. With that being said, you should never use this magic for ill intentions. Mm-mm. Right. Uh, most rituals call for a drop or two of your own blood. Okay. For protection spells, such as charging a crystal or an amulet, a mojo bag, or even like on a written page, like to mark, you know? Right. Um, Some examples of blood magic in pop culture would be this movie. Like this movie is a beautiful example of blood magic. Of like not negative blood magic either. Right. Yeah. It's still yes. powerful. Still powerful. very powerful. And that's the thing. Like like when you're doing spells with blood magic, it packs a punch. No matter what I your mean, intention is. That's Correct. right. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it's powerful. Correct. And you could see this shown in this movie when right. he, I mean, his grief mm. overtakes him. So you have like the qualities of his wife, but his grief pours through as he varnishes the violin. And one thing I wanted to note is the little boy, okay. Casper. Vice, yeah. right? So he slept with a violin. Okay. But he was an orphan. Right. And he had no mom. And so the violin, he slept with it, it comforted him. Like that was what brought him comfort. Because and then her he, blood was in yeah. it and she was becoming a mom. Yeah. Ouch. Yes. Yes. So like she was, that's what I mean. It's yeah. going to pack a punch. Right. It's going to pack a punch. But that's why I think that this is a great example of po- how it can be used positively. Yes. Because you yes. don't see that often because blood, right. like you said, immediately kind right. of goes the other way. Yeah. This yeah. was a very like. Right. Hmm. And then you can see like in, um, when it goes to Pope and it's like seductive and sex because she was sexual, she was beautiful. Right. Okay. Um, and then you see in the third one, it's like your blood is boiling. You're fighting for something, right? Justice. Wow. Yeah. When you're impassioned by something, it fires you up. So the tarot reading was actually accurate. Right. Yeah. I mean, for in this, within for the, in this each case. individual, that's exactly. very, very yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, practical magic is ah. a good one, right? When they cut my and blood, they, your blood, my blood, your blood, which would be, you know, the adage, you know, family is blood. Yeah. Right. Right. Blood is thicker than water. Right. Well, the whole thing. <laughs> I would like to argue that point. No. <laughs> In this movie. Exactly. Sure, sure. (laughs) We also have, like, we talked about Madame Bathory, and Uh, she bathed in blood, right? Right. Game of Thrones, Charmed, Sleepy Hollow, The Show, Uh, which I love, Um, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, and the spell to bring back Voldemort involves blood. uh, Yeah. Yes. Good one, Laura. Yeah, right. Oh, shit. Um, Also used for fertility and power. So think our episode on the Love Witch. When she uses her menstrual blood to cast her love spells. And Midsummer. And it was also used in Midsummer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that one was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that one packed a punch. That one was a little, yeah, disturbing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's that's what I have on Blood Magic. I just wanted to touch a little bit on it and give you the basics. I really appreciate that because I feel like that's a topic that is very scary and intimidating, but yeah. it doesn't have to be. And right. I really I really appreciate you doing that. That Thanks. is a very beautiful movie and story, Laura. This movie is so gorgeous. Please go watch it. Thank you for sharing it with You're me, welcome. even though I fell asleep. 
I, you could tell I was hanging on the edge of my seat here because yeah. I was actually interested yeah. in what happened. I'm going to yeah. go watch the rest go of it. Go finish. Go finish. It's oh, so great. Up top. Yes. All right, guys. You've got two really good movie recommendations. We were on theme. We, we were picked on theme. a theme. Red yep. Red the theme blood. today. Yes. <laughs> Red blood. There we go. Go watch these two movies, man. Do it. Hell yeah. All right. Are you ready for Killer Quotes? I'm of the ready. Week? I think it's my turn. It is. All right, let me shake. Let me get. Wow. <laughs> okay. wow. wow. All right, our killer quote is Oh, it's a long one. Is it? Yeah, okay. <clears throat> if you don't let me gut out this house and make it my own, I will go insane and I will take you with me. Beetlejuice. From Beetlejuice. <laughs> and that was sent in by Dime Store Diamond. Yay, I thank love you. it. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Well, that's another one in the books. It's I another really one in the books. enjoy that. Might have been one of my new favorites, honestly. Oh, it's so good. I, I loved your lesson. It was so fascinating. Thank you. I loved yours. And I am going to watch that movie tonight. And I'm going to go watch yours. All honestly, right. I really liked this. This yeah. is what it's about, man. This is what it's about. All right. Well, if you would like to see more of us, go yes. check out our Patreon. We yes. have a lot of cool extras, and you get to see our episodes. We film them for you. Yes. Go check that out. If you can't do that, go give us a rating on Apple. Please. Five stars, please. Yes, five. I think we deserve five. Five. Five all the time. All right, well. With that right. said, we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. TTFN. Cut, print, check the gate. Moving on.